Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by Professor Wagstaff, Venom's Denny, Hot Toddy. Good to be with you again, friends, as we dive into another edition of Dead End Sequels. What dun, we do, dun, dun. <laughs> what we do is we find a film that had one sequel, no more, and it's called a Dead End Sequel. And so, um, <laughs> this is our third Get one. Dummies. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, we, we also frequently forget how many times we've done it, where we think we've only done it once, even if we've done it eight, and we all get tripped up I on it. I think this all is three. I think this I is I think three. so. All right. Well, I'm Grizzly Abner, and I chose American Psycho Part 2. Uh, professor here, and I picked The Return of Swamp Thing. Hey, everybody, Vinny here. I chose American Werewolf in Paris. And Hot Toddy, I picked Gremlins 2. All right. We're starting with my pick American <clears throat> Psycho 2. Toddy. As you just told the listeners, <laughs> our first title is American Psycho 2. I guess you did leave out All American Girl. Oh, I didn't know that. 2002, directed by Morgan Freeman. Morgan J. Freeman. <laughs> And starring Mila Kunis, William Shatner, and Robin Dunn. Well, well, well. This was was my first viewing. Oh. Thank God. Yeah. I I hoped you hadn't seen this and still picked it. Uh, First time viewing for me as well. First time. Unfortunately not the first time. Oh, man. Okay. You have no self-respect. (laughs) <laughs> I had to do the ordering for the video store, so I had to... I actually was excited when I got the screener out of the box. I was like, American Psycho 2? Oh, tell how, me. How, how quickly did that enthusiasm evaporate after the movie started? <laughs> uh, Amer- American Psycho 2? <laughs> <laughs> so, we open with revisiting... Patrick Bateman from the first film, not played by Christian Bale. No, in this no film. Fun, fun fact: Christian Bale was in that costume. Oh yeah, no, no, <laughs> liar. But it'd be a lot cooler if he was. So, our main character, she's just a little girl, and she sees Patrick Bateman killing her babysitter, and so she decides that she's going to kill Patrick Bateman. She has killed the American Psycho. And now she takes up the mantle of American Psycho because now she's in college and she's studying behavioral sciences because she wants to go into, she wants to go to the FBI and catch psychos, serial killers, right? 
and she really wants to become the TA for William Shatner's class. Wants to become the teaching assistant. <laughs> because it's, it's a very prestigious position, and it's said that the students who get that job almost are always a shoe-in to go on to Quantico and be in the FBI. And let me tell you this, friends. She wants the position so badly, she's willing to kill for it. Didn't see that coming. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. There's the setup. I, I'm I'm saving uh, all my final thoughts for one clump. Okay. Anybody? How, how do we feel about how how do we feel about the premise of the movie? First two minutes in, and I'm not optimistic. Uh, and does anyone else feel like this movie completely undoes the ambiguity of the? finish of the original movie um, it is a disservice to the original 100% the, every, there is nothing about this movie that, that carries on from, from the original uh, the, the original was just this insanely dark but funny m- masterpiece in a lot of ways uh, and this is just run of the mill nonsense and shits on it Yeah, and shits on the first one now does anybody else feel like this was another movie I have the title of it. Yeah? Yeah. This was originally called The Girl Who Wouldn't Die. And then they said, oh, let's just make it a sequel to that and tie it in with a couple of things. Mm. That was originally what it was that, called. That feels like it. I'm, I'm generally not optimistic when I see the Lionsgate logo come up. <laughs> <laughs> when I put something in. I mean, they did the first one. Um... Yeah, you amateur. <laughs> Tell me the track record. Anybody sit at this table when you have a lion's gate come up. I was just trying to tease you because you got dunked on by Todd. I mean, it's 50-50. Uh, <laughs> uh, they, even, even, for, even for just taking another movie, because some of the movies they've done this to, at least it's in canon. This makes zero it, Like, the fill is off. The, the, the dark humor of this movie is just stupid because it, it just didn't work. This feels more like a, um, a Mean Girl sequel than it does American Psycho. And yeah, the original, you don't even know if he's the killer or not. And this is going to be weird to say, but I don't know if American Psycho ever needed a sequel. No, uh, the answer is a resounding no. No. Yeah, uh, the uncertainty is cleared up with. Yeah, the, the only thing I, I remember, I, I picked up the book because I was trying to figure out, yeah. is he the killer? Is he not the killer? And if you've ever read any of, um, is it a... Brett Easton Bre- Ellis. Yeah, Ellis. you ever read any of his books... It pretty much is just like, it's like, oh, okay, well, no. Well, I remember hearing in the past, he claims that they were trying to force a serial killer in the rules of attraction that he was doing. Oh, and he yeah. said, absolutely not. And that this movie is the result of it because <laughs> he wouldn't play along with that. And I think technically in rules of attraction, the movie, Vanderbeek's character's last name is Bateman and he's in theory a relative of Patrick Bateman right and so they wanted a way heavier tie-in to keep building with that success and he was like not the point of this no that's not what this means and so he he directly says this movie is the consequence of his failure to which uh Rules of Attraction stand up for yourself that that book is exactly like the movie like down to the the backwards the the whole backwards chapter there's Mm. a backwards chapter in the book in the the movie anyways uh, back to this shit I am the backwards man (laughs) I can walk backwards as fast as you can. <laughs> um, yeah, this... 
Uh, like uh, Rob, Robin Dunn. So he's uh, actually Cruel Intentions probably makes more sense than uh, Mean Girls. So this feels more like a uh, it would fit into canon with one of those films. But Robin Dunn is known for uh, being in straight-to-video sequels to, to good A-title movies. Mm. I'm assuming this absolutely was straight-to-video. Yes. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Do you guys want to hear the title I came up with for it? Sure. <laughs> yes. American Psycho Pie to the College Years. <laughs> <laughs> and here's, before we dig deeper into the film, I just want to jump straight to this conclusion here. I, I think if this film would have been released as whatever you said that working title was, we'd all be a little kinder to it. Because even though it was like silly and goofy, I, I didn't hate the movie. I, I agree. One of my notes is that it would not have been bad had it not been related to the original film. Well, yeah. I think it also suffers from being about five years late. Sure. Because they were making a ton of these movies after Scream, not so much by the time this came out. It was like also late to that party. So it's kind of like this dueling negative that, that probably, it gives it a much bigger uphill battle. And yeah. Grizz, why did you pick this one out of everything? Is just out of curiosity because you hadn't seen it? Yeah, just okay. out of curiosity. Um, yeah, and, and my wife said she'd remembered watching it one time and not hating it, so she wanted to watch it again, and I thought, yeah, I'll give it a shot. And so, you know, like I said, I didn't hate the no. the, the, the overall picture. You know what I'm saying? Right. It, 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 yeah, again, every criticism we have to try and make it a sequel to American Psycho, yeah, all that's very valid. But I was like, at the end I got done, I just kind of laughed, and I said, it was silly, but it wasn't the dumbest movie I've ever seen. Well, the, the weird thing is, is... Um Mila Kunis was pretty popular at this point because of um, uh, that '70s show. If they would have just called it All American Girl or like All American Psycho, or just if they would if they would have done the different title, it would have been more enjoyable. Because I like movies like this, like um, like Dead Man on Campus. And yeah, I think the disservice too is they changed a lot of this after the fact. Mm-hmm. So I think you know, like William Shatner signed up for this for a different movie that he filmed. Yeah, and that they changed a lot of that around towards the back end of it because he wasn't just taking anything at that point. No. He was okay. No. He didn't need movies like this. Yeah, and so I was excited when I saw Bill Shatner. Yeah, I think that I think from from what I've learned, they changed a lot of this late in the game, and yeah. this wasn't the movie that they thought they shot. Which, it was man, weird for me, bullshit, to try to get used to hearing Captain Kirk say "fuck." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he plays his role well. He does. Right? He really does. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it's. The- it's not the worst movie I've ever seen it by did, a long it, shot. They start off on the on the wrong foot, and they already leave a bad taste in your mouth going into it by making it an American Psycho movie. Mm-hmm. I think that if it didn't have that attached to it, I think it would have been received a, probably a lot better. I know they were banking on name recognition, but I think it may have performed better without that on it, to be honest. Not, not everybody was a love... I, I saw American Psycho at the movies, and it was it was six people in the whole thing most people were walking out mm. people were not a fan of American Psycho when it came out yeah so it probably it's it's not like it was like the biggest movie of the year or anything like it probably would have been stronger because I think even at this point in 2002 most people were probably like what the hell is American Psycho yeah that one probably weren't ready for his humor yeah um, I think it's picked up a lot of steam over the years since then oh for sure fun fact though Rules of Attraction also had people walk out of it too oh I believe the it. scene where they're jumping on the bed to George Michael <laughs> before we jump into the rest of the movie I just wanted to mention a quote that I thought was interesting uh, Kunis had said uh, she attempted to stop production of American Psycho 3 
saying in an interview, please, somebody stop this. Write a petition. When I did the second one, I didn't know it would be American Psycho 2. It was supposed to be a different project, and it was re-edited, but oh. Wow. Hmm. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's got to be frustrating. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <clears throat> well, uh, so just going over some of the kills here, and I think this is the charm of the movie, is that the kills are silly intentionally. Like, they're... Yeah. They, they, the film never takes itself too seriously, which is why it would have worked as a different film. Mm-hmm. That's a common theme of all movies on this episode, in yeah, a lot of ways. Right. Um, so you've got, you know, we start out by she's putting this lady's cat in the microwave, and I was like, oh no, th- no, don't start with this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's start yeah. here. And then she kills the administrator who told her she probably didn't have a chance to get the TA position. And it just sets the stage right away. I can't see that girl without thinking of like, <laughs> Oh, horsey scared me too. Because <laughs> she's totally the chick from Scary Movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then when she's going to hook up with that dude, it comes over and he she's got plastic down on the bed to kill him, and he's like, "Ugh, what is this? A piss sheet?" <laughs> <laughs> and then they almost got me when she chokes him to death with a condom. I was like, mm, "We're getting a little too silly here," but it was funny. Uh, you know, she says, hey, it's just like we say, we got to kill a few to save the many. You know, like she's getting into that character. And again, had it been the movie it was supposed to be, I think this, more people would talk about this. It does make I sense agree. now all the uh, voiceover uh, of, of the movie, because there's a lot of voiceover work in this film. So that kind of makes more sense now. Yeah. Yeah, so she, she gets her therapist afraid of her, and she kills another person from class, and like... Uh, as it look like they stage their suicide, which happens to be Shatner's love interest and leaves a suicide note. Um, she kills another guy in the library with an ice pick. Uh, and then we find out the real twist of this film, if there's supposed to be a twist of this film, <laughs> is that the babysitter that gets killed at the beginning of the movie by Patrick Bateman was actually Shatner's student girlfriend at the time. And so that's where this whole thing supposedly comes full circle. Any thoughts on that? Reach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's one of those things where it, it kind of just makes me feel old. And that had to be a late edit, yeah. right? Cause, because if it's tying it to American Psycho with that opening scene, later they're going to add in, you know, figure, it, put this thing in. Yeah, this is I think you're plot completely point. right on that. Uh, let's see. She kills Shatner, and then at that point, you're like, oh, the movie's almost over. But there's like 30 minutes left. <laughs> yeah, it's a long 90. <laughs> and her parents visit, and you're like, oh my gosh, is she going to kill her parents now? And then you find out that she's pretending to be a student. Like, she's not even really a student there. She's pretending to be someone else, because she just wants to become part of the FBI that bad. I think she might be crazy. <laughs> it's as though she might be. Psycho. Ooh. <laughs> Adam, something wrong with that American girl. Uh, yeah, and so actually she pretended, we find out too, that she pretended to be Shatner's love interest to the therapist that she was talking to. So the web gets a little more intricate. Um, and then she sees him at the dinner with her parents, and now she's got these two double lies she's trying to work through. And uh, she ends up crashing her car and faking her death. There it is. I've had a dollar for every time I experienced all of that. <laughs> the music's real bad in this as well. Like at oh, points, it sounds like circus music. That uh, <laughs> th- 
the bad music is really bad for this because that was kind of like the, the music was real important in the first film. And then this one's just, just shitty music. It's real bad. Yeah, like all of real the, bad. The, the evidence of uh, like an executive who doesn't really like movies took complete control of this. <laughs> Take control, Benny. <laughs> and so then, of course, we uh, find her come out later. Um, she's at Quantico. She's at the FBI Academy. And the therapist is writing a book about, has written a book about her. And she pops up and has him sign the book, and da, 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 there it is. The yeah, as she's now posing as one of the characters you saw earlier in the movie that's dead. Now she's her, and this guy who wrote it has got a look of confusion on his face. What? You can't be! <laughs> Which is crazy, because I fully expected that she was dead from the... the <laughs> so there it is, American Psycho 2. Um, if you're a hardcore fan... I, if you're a hardcore fan of American Psycho, stay away from it. Yeah, no, but if you're a hardcore fan of the genre, you may want to check it out. And, yeah, it's and, like, and just pretend it's called All-American Girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just leave it. <laughs> or American Psycho Pie 2, the college years. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, like I said, I didn't hate this movie. I, I hate that it's American Psycho 2. Yes. But I really would have liked to have seen what this movie was supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah, I'll agree with that because it's not terrible, terrible. It just, like I say, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth because it's trying to be the sequel to something that you enjoyed and then within the first two minutes have completely shit on the ending of that original movie. Well, and you think, too, if they would have stuck to the original plan of letting this be a vehicle for her as a young star mm-hmm. and making her the showcase, then you look at the success of Black Swan, this thing would have sold even more units later. Yeah. But. It doesn't because everybody avoids it because it, you just know it's bad based on well, the type. I would, I would say even probably the, the basic premise and like the, the opening and stuff probably was the original film. They just, as soon as they say that that's Patrick Bateman, it's, it just takes you out of it. Yep. Yeah. But it's just an uninteresting reach of a connection. Yes. I did yeah, post that I watched problem. this and I think it was Teo was like, oh, I didn't know this existed. And my response was, you should keep it that way. Yeah, your life was better for that. <laughs> All right. But hey, so, it's checked off the list. Yeah, let's go from an American psycho to an American werewolf. All right. So, as, as he already said half the title, uh, an American <laughs> werewolf in Paris, 1997, directed by Anthony Waller and starring Thomas Everett Scott, Julie Del- Delby, and uh, Julie Bowen. American werewolf, too. There you go. So... Uh, I picked this one. I picked this one because I've only seen it once uh, back in probably 1997. <laughs> I have not watched it since. I thought, ah, I'll watch it again. It's not a movie I particularly enjoyed when I watched it, but it's something that I think would make for an interesting conversation either way. Not that I think anybody will like it. <laughs> uh, I, after just straight up front, after watching it a second time, I still don't like it. Don't don't speak too soon. We got a German Blu-ray laying on the table. Yeah, here. these boys are going to have a triple threat match in my backyard for this. <laughs> what what is everybody else's experience with this movie? I I watched this uh, I watched this when it first came out, like so probably on video, and I remember liking it. 
It did get a theatrical release, didn't it? Yeah, no, it was a theatrical release. Yeah. Um, I, missed... I didn't see it in the theater. No. Yeah, I, I myself. I don't remember seeing it in the theater. I definitely remember we got this. This is crazy. I saw a movie in the theater that Todd didn't. Oh. Yeah. And then this was a Disney movie, so Disney always had the best POP kits because it had 10 screeners. And then, so that was one of them. I remember I really liked Thomas Everett Scott. Um, I remember enjoying this movie. And then as I was watching it for this, I was like, what the fuck were you thinking? <laughs> also, I, I, as I was trying to remember the last time I watched this, too, because I've never seen it a few times. I don't know if I've watched this movie past the 90s. It's fair. Uh, this is my second viewing. I, like everybody at the table, I'm assuming I, I loved the first one growing yes. up over yes. the years. It was one of my favorite movies. I was ecstatic that in my youth I got to go see a sequel, that I got to go be a part of the next installment. And even at a young age, I thought it was butt. Like when it came out, I was—I just thought it was so disappointing. And and the thing is, is I feel like a lot of times when we go back and watch some of these movies, especially from the mid to late '90s, where we make concessions for CG, this doesn't get a pass because it looked bad then. Yeah, and I can remember thinking yep. that. Yeah, like worse than most of the stuff back then. But the soundtrack, I loved. I remember that being a big deal. When that, this came out, got that, that Bush song on yep. there, and all these different remixes yeah. of, of those bands. Um, I remember that being a bigger deal in the movie with most of the people I knew. And I think that song never made it to one of their albums, and it was like a pretty popular song of theirs, and it was mm-hmm. only on this soundtrack. Yep. Yeah. Uh, my first full viewing, I remember watching part of this on Stars, like when I was in high school, and like just casually being like, "Oh, okay, yeah, that's tight," because I remember. Him uh, bungee jumping off the Eiffel Tower. And then I'm like, well, I didn't get very far, did I? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I was uh, partially thrilled to revisit this, just to, or to, to give it a shot for the whole first time. And uh, that enthusiasm has left me. <laughs> I'm always down for a werewolf movie, even if it's bad. Yeah, yeah. So. All right. This is going to be very brief. Yes. So... College buddies, college-age buddies, three of them together on a trip in Europe. They're daredevils, guys. They're daredevils. They're bros. They're bros and they're daredevils. They're, they're, they've got a list of crazy wild stunts that they get points for and, and for bedding women. So we end up on the Eiffel Tower. They sneak onto the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> Which I'm sure has just the loosest security in the world. And... The one guy they were they were ribbon for not being uh, a, a slut for not going around and banging everybody. He's selective. Uh, they think he's trying to make up for that because he's he's fixing his rig up. He's about to jump off the Eiffel Tower with a bungee cord. So then they notice as they're standing there, oh shit, somebody's coming, and this woman walks up, this young woman, mm. and she's getting ready to jump. Which Parisians don't do. And whatever. He tries to talk her out of it. And she jumps. And instinctively, without even thinking, he jumps after her. But wait. Oh, this is the dumbest shit. His rig is not secured to anything, so his two buddies grab it. A loose bungee cord. (laughs) And I'm sorry to talk like the dad on Alf, but this is ridiculous. And how... I, I don't understand how old boy jumps after she has jumped. And catches her. And, and falls faster somehow. He's heavier, and it's science and gravity. Okay. 
so he reaches out. I think that's the opposite. Of he reaches out. He reaches out. The and same gra- science that leaves them all unwounded. And grabs her ankle, and his buddies have they they got the rope. They oh. slam into the side of the tower, and he's close enough to gingerly drop her onto the ground as her shoe slips off into his hand, and then he bungees back up into the sky and hits his head, which would have killed him. Which would have killed him. Yeah. Then he okay. catches a baguette and a glass of wine and lands it. It's so <laughs> and, hilarious. And guys, let me look. I fully understand that right now we are laughing at the physics and science behind a movie about werewolves. Okay? Like I, I get the irony here. You know what's not funny? Suicide. That's right. <laughs> That's right. If you need to talk to somebody, reach out. That's right. Okay, go on. So he wakes up in the hospital. With uh, the poor man's Anthony Kiedis and his other friend <laughs> over the top of him, and he's it's it's Cinderella, guys. It's it's just a whack Cinderella. Yes, he's got her shoe. Blah blah blah. Well, as luck would have it, one of his friends is like, "Hey, we need a montage with Smash Mouth." <laughs> as luck would have it, uh, he says, "Did you guys?" He says, "You guys get the note?" And they're like, "What note?" He says, "The suicide note." Maybe we can figure out who she is. So it is a montage with Smash Mouth of them running around Paris. Was it Walking on the Sun? Yes. Yeah. Trying I wish it to was fi- All Star. <laughs> trying to find the suicide note, but while they're gone, as luck would have it, the girl is a nurse at the hospital. Our American is in the same one. What? So he goes to chase after her. She's carrying a human heart in a Ziploc bag. Things are weird though. And right as she's getting ready to come back to him, a door swings open from a doctor and knocks him unconscious, as luck would have it. Which would then kill him if that first crash, (laughs) the first hit didn't. So uh, let's move it along a little bit here. Long story short, he figures out who she is, where she lives. He goes to her house. She agrees to meet him. Uh, things are odd when she meets him. There's red all over her hands. Uh, she says, oh, no, I'm painting. You've got red on you. I'm I'm painting. I'm painting. I'm remodeling. So anyway, she meets the guy, uh... There's a scene in there's a scene in the restaurant where he steals from cone heads and <laughs> uses this, a rubber as chewing gum and blows a bubble. Every nineties trope is in this movie. Our second condom reference in this yeah, episode. What's up with that? That's what these films have connected. Todd is getting so horny for that steel <laughs> book. Yeah, he is. He's like, this is going to one where the guy helps so, uh, so the the American shitheads get duped into going to this 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 secret party. Oh, so they saw a flyer for a secret club that never happens in the nineties either. No, never. <laughs> so they go for this rave to the uh, dumpiest rave. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah. which typically will have like industrial goth rock. Playing. Meanwhile, poor man's Anthony Kiedis uh, <laughs> discovers a basement where uh, our female. Lead is in a jail cell, so he goes in and she's like, Oh, get the fuck out of here. And he's like, What? You don't want out? And she, he's like, So and so, they're at this party. She's like, No, not that party. Let me out of here. So he gets out. She decks him, throws him in, and locks him in the cage instead and goes because dun, 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 our other two Americans are in a den of werewolves. So she goes, she gets inside, and you're starting to get the hints more and more from from ridiculous shows of strength. Something's not right with this girl. And as she frees her man and starts to get him to run away, you see it happen. She turns into a werewolf. She's part computer. So, 
I'm, I really don't want to go into any more detail. Guys, where are you yeah. at on this movie right uh, now? Yeah, let's just <laughs> let's try and short up here. I'm going to sing the Bush song when we are done with your <laughs> summary, so it's whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Still but. Not good. Here's where the real disappointment sets in, is when she transforms. Because, and this is everybody's gripe with this. I think everybody at this table loves an American werewolf in London. Yeah. And yeah. I think we can all agree that is a werewolf transformation in that movie that has still not been topped to this day. Special effects were such an enormous part of what an American werewolf in London is to then turn to this transformation in this movie that the CGI is awful. And I mean, we're in an era of Jurassic Park at this point. That's the kind of shit that's out there that you can do with CGI. And we get this shit that... Who framed Roger Rabbit did a better job of marrying reality sure. and animation together in a believable way than this does? And this clearly has money. It's, I mean, it's not because it's got limitations. Maybe just they lazy. should have spent less money on the soundtrack yeah. and a little more money on the, the effects. Because this CGI is awful. It looks like animation thrown into the real world. It's so bad. And that, I think, immediately to anybody who's a fan of the original film... You are because the, the writing is not awful on this, but this I think immediately sours anybody who's a fan of the original. Yeah, yeah, because you're watching that and you're thinking they spent money on Smash Mouth. Yes, <laughs> you're like, wow, that Paula Abdul music video with the animation looked better than this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do not talk stuff about MC Scat Cat. <laughs> but this is another movie where they completely missed the mark of the original. Case in point. Is his friend gets killed, and now his zombie corpse he's seen, which makes zero sense. Because, because he's not the one who killed yeah, him. Yeah, he's not the one that killed him. And the chick from Modern Family was annoying AF. Isn't she? Was she the love interest from Happy Gilmore? Yes. yes. Okay. She went from yeah. Happy Gilmore to this. Woof. She did. But um, this is so. This is the Weinstein Company. This is right after Scream. And I think where they made Scream on the cheap because you didn't need CGI. Maybe they shouldn't have took on this project then, but um, I know even the, the people that wrote this movie were, were pissed when they went and saw this because this wasn't their script. Like, a lot of the key points were there, because um, I think they played a little bit more with, like, her mom, and it would even make more sense if she accidentally bit him or something, because he should have died when he was trying to save her. So it would have made sense if she accidentally bit him and we were going that route. But, yeah, at this point... She has changed where we've been talking about so far at this party, and he's gotten away. We're, what, half hour, 40 minutes in? He's not been bitten or anything yet. Yeah. So uh, the sad part is, and I don't know what his script was, and it could have been Turd City, but they actually, one of the first scripts that they received was from Landis. Mm. So they turned down Landis. The I think two guys that wrote this movie, I think they had a bunch of rewrites for all, like, I'm sure all the things they thought were going to be better. Because even, um, I think that's the problem with, I think we talked about it in the American Horror, one of the episodes, is uh, it's kind of a weird balance that I don't think everybody can get. It's kind of like spoof movies. Like, Naked Gun and Airplane does it perfect, 
But most of the other stuff is just like somebody's literally just trying to copy scenes, and so they don't get it. Because the humor of the first movie, it feels like they were trying to do in this one, but it is just, it's almost childish. Yeah. Like at one point, she puts her, the, the again, the modern family, I'm probably jumping ahead because he's already... I'm werewolf and a lot of but time. She punches him in the mouth as like his as the zombie ghost, and it makes a weird sound and goes through his mouth. And then her eyeball pops out, uh, and it's just like again. I, I want to say they almost made a cartoon noise, like <laughs> yeah. Tonally, this never touches anything from from Nothing. from the highlight original. for me is the paraplegic werewolf and. You don't really, double amputee. I don't know if you do. You get to see your mom full on, but her mom was like probably like the coolest thing, the, the whole best movie. looking thing, special yeah. effect wise in the movie. Yeah, her corpse mom. Yeah, yep. I mean, the filmmaking. You can look at the original. Within ten minutes, you care about those two guys. I never care about anybody in this movie. Here's like the, I and, do. and here's the other thing, Chris. Did you have anything? I feel like everybody's talking. You haven't got to say anything. Go ahead. I have a few things to say. Get at it. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a whole lot to say. Uh, the corpse mom was something I was going to bring up because she looked great. Um, yeah, the only thing that, that has any sort of connection to the first film is just this idea of the love interest between the American boy and the nurse. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like, there's not... And you're in a, a prominent European city. Nothing beyond that. Yeah. So, to, to fast forward through, we find out that the girl, uh, her stepfather was working on... Was it a cure? Or he ended up coming up with a way where it was a serum that could be taken where a werewolf could change at any time. Yeah. So the the guys who had the rave that that pack of werewolves are now at odds with the American and his nurse friend, and they steal that. There's a fight on the train. Like it's whack. And I'm just gonna fast forward to the end where now we have our nurse, and it's a happy ending this time. Uh, and and it's another dumbass bungee jump. <laughs> At least the, they book off, off the Statue of Liberty, but hers isn't secure. So the friends grab again, and because she's hugging the American when it happens, they're able. It, it's it's that's just as bad as it sounds, everybody. So basically, now that I've hit the points, um, the the beauty of Landis's movie. When we meet our characters in that movie and when our attack happens is one of the most terrifying moments of cinema, in my mind. Of them being chased through the moors and, and, and the attack. Every, this movie never has that. Uh, I think the opening scene is kind of neat in this movie where the guy comes up out of the manhole and he's being chased. And mm, yeah, it's a great cold it's, and, and it's got that orchestra playing, so they marry those two. That like, like uh, Cinematically and visually and everything, that, that is done very well. I don't ever have a feeling of fear. It's, it's more of an action movie sequence to me. It doesn't elicit any real emotion. Uh, but, it, but it's shot well and it's an effective opening. I don't think that the writing is particularly bad other than dumb shit like having them do bungee jumps off of the Eiffel Tower. Like, Other than that, I don't think the dialogue's bad and I don't necessarily think the plot's bad. This almost feels like a howling movie. Like a howling sequel. It probably would have felt a little better in that series and God knows that series couldn't have gotten any worse in parts. But 
Yeah, all in all, I'm I'm still extremely underwhelmed by this film. Uh, I don't know that I'll ever watch it again. Um, I say I'll probably give it another quarter of a century. <laughs> check it out. But worth talking about, you know, because I think it is something that so many people love the original, and this misses the mark by so far. It's kind of fun doing these episodes for this reason, though, because I would yeah. never watch this movie again yeah. otherwise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I almost picked this one, and you beat me to it, so yes. thank you for that. Yes. Um, again, back to the, the, the two writers. They're, they actually went to Paris to write this movie, and the big selling point to them was the catacombs. And they had this whole big thing, and then none of it's really used in the movie. I, I think the Weinstein brothers just were trying to make another cheap horror film. Then you probably shouldn't have took on Werewolf. And... and I think if you would have just done practical stuff with a, a person in a werewolf suit, you would have got it. I think that hurts the film more than anything. Just like um, how we talked about American Psycho 2, if this would have been called uh, Paris Werewolf, you probably could have got away with a lot more, but you made a sequel to like one of the best... I like, wish it would have been called Howling 6 and that one would have <laughs> never gotten made. <laughs> You made a uh, you made a sequel to the to the movie that that started the award for best special effects. Yes, and and went with dog shit CGI. What a slap in the face! Dog trash, dog trash. <laughs> Trademark. <laughs> I mean, bus monsters, dog trash. <laughs> Last note: uh, He's in the restaurant, and he doesn't even use the word garçon correctly. He calls him garcon. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my last note was that this movie was actually made to supplement the soundtrack. <laughs> uh, kind of like when they made like He-Man and Ninja Turtle toys and they weren't selling so they made a cartoon to go with them <laughs> and guys if, and I in 1997 I was 19 years old and this movie doesn't elicit any nostalgia for me for, for that era with the music or anything because the music they've got on there I'm like ugh this is a shit I thought was cornball when I was 19 shut up did, did you guys check out the Alternate ending that I sent in the in the group chat. Nope. I like, ignored it because it's even I greater. No, I, I did, but I was drunk. <laughs> so uh, the alternate ending involves a baby. Uh, she has a baby, and uh, it ends with the baby's eyes being uh, all werewolf. Well, they should have done that. <laughs> I would have rather seen that than bungee jump off yeah. the fucking Statue of Liberty. It would have been cool if they just didn't make it. That's <laughs> fair. That is fair. It's like you watch that whole movie and then they. Day. So guys, I I don't recommend you watch this. If you're a big fan of American Werewolf in London, certainly do not watch this. And if you <laughs> if you've gone this long and have not, do don't don't ruin the taste. I, I will not. say the stars were on scathe by this movie because say, they actually all became pretty big stars. If you enjoy being happy or watching <laughs> movies, also skip this. <laughs> Just kidding, that's too harsh. It's all right. Yeah, okay. did, did you guys have more fun watching this? Or Boot Scoot and Howling. Oh man. I like Boot Scoot and Howling, but <laughs> yeah. Boot Scoot and Howling. <laughs> because it I mean it's still ridiculous. So I was hoping you'd say that, so I want you to get your money together because we're gonna make Boot Scoot and Howling in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> At this point the howling rights can't be expensive to come by. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Todd, what's our next film? Thank you. Our next film is The Return of Swamp Thing, 1989, uh, directed by uh, famous director Jim Warnowski, who's also known for the highlights of Chopping Mall, good movie, 
uh, Big Bad Mama 2, and then uh, on the other side of that, 976 Evil 2, and fan favorite, Ghoulies 4. Oh, yeah. Um, we also do the Bear Winch project. I was going to say, if it had boobies in it from like the mid 80s through the 2000s, he probably directed uh, The way you said that, I was thinking, <coughs> Bear. <laughs> I was like, I don't think I've seen that. And There's a know. documentary about him called Papatopoulos. <laughs> it's a true story. Okay, anyways, uh, returning actor Dick Durock. Yeah. Uh, returns as Swamp Thing, and also uh, Louis Jordan uh, returns as Doctor Ar- Arcare. Am I saying that? I don't really care. And then uh, Heather Locklear, <laughs> Sarah Douglas from Superman One or Two, um, are added to the cast. He said, "Ar Ar don't really care." Ar Arcane. Had anybody watched this before? You know what? I have never I had never seen either Swamp Thing movie. Never had. Wow. Now, I did watch the very limited TV series back in the <laughs> like around 90, I think it came out. Anybody? The cartoon? I remember that. No, there was a TV, short-lived TV series. There's also well. a modern short-lived TV series okay. with Virginia Madsen also. Yes. Derek Mears played the Swamp Thing. It was around 89 or 90. Probably. Do and you remember the cartoon theme song? Swamp, Swamp Thing. thing. <laughs> yeah. You are amazing. I think that Better came than... off of the TV show. I think you're yeah. probably right. Yeah. And that's when like Toxic Avenger and everything else yeah. was getting... I'm glad that you just said Toxic because while I was watching this, I was like, why have we not seen Swamp Thing versus Toxic Avenger? Don't you let Lloyd Kaufman hear you say that. Yeah. So I, my, my history with Swamp Thing is that TV series, and I used to watch it with my grandma. Do you, do you call it Swamp Thing or Swamp Thing? Swamp Thing. <laughs> and uh, my grandmother, one year, I was her only grandchild that like lived in town. Like all of her other ones lived out of town. And one year, instead of getting me one Christmas gift, she got me two because it was two Swamp Thing figures Ooh. from the show. Ooh. And she said, "Don't tell your other cousins that I got you two gifts." So that's always like a sentimental thing to mm-hmm. me. Uh, Hope they don't listen to this show. Because <laughs> <laughs> she didn't have much money, and so the fact that she got me two Swamp Thing figures. So I actually awesome. purposefully sat down and watched the first Swamp Thing so that I could watch this and have some comprehension. Cool. I have seen both of them before. Uh, I also went ahead and watched both of them, not back to back, but maybe night to night, you know. Um, the first one because I have a DVD from the 80s of Sammy Terry hosting it so that was kind of cool to watch that Samuel Terrence to watch uh, local commercials and stuff from the 80s and also watch the original Swamp Thing can you put that on tape for me Uh, you'll be disappointed because whoever recorded it didn't get the monologue at the beginning and all it is is like pre-recorded bumpers in between the commercial breaks (laughs) real bad and terrible quality from Antenna Days of TV um, but I have seen this before, but I don't know how long it's been since I have seen this. So. Uh, I've seen both. It's been forever since I've seen either. Normally I watch the whole 57. Uh, actually, I have a, uh, a, a fan-made disc that has both movies, the cartoon series, the original series, like all oh, of it put together cool. um, on open. And <laughs> shocker, uh, I probably saw this movie on HBO back in the day. 
Um, normally I watch everything, and, and so I've been trying to keep to, if we're just doing two, then that's all I'm watching. So, um, I remember loving the original, and obviously this one's a, a step down from Wes Craven and, and stuff, but um, I wasn't looking forward to watching this one, and then, um, granted, it kind of f- falls off toward the end, but uh, definitely from the start, I was like sold. I was like, oh, I don't remember this being this good. Yeah, so I was excited to cover this one for this very reason, because on paper, this should be abysmal. And in my opinion, I think it's more entertaining than the original. I, I agree, agree with you. Okay, awesome. So I'm not I mean, going to be belittled. That opening take. scene alone. So Jesse came in as I'm watching the ending of this movie, and it's whatever. But I was like, oh wait, I was like, first off, it's the MVD Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. So I showed him the opening because it's like a, a old school VHS. Like you, it shows play and it's all grimy. But uh, I was like, you have to watch the opening of this movie. And I was like, they probably spent every bit of their budget on the opening credits. I'm sure the song was expensive, mm. and man, it's it's kind of weird because the film looked out whatever, and I started going to the comic book, and I was like, "Damn, yeah." Well, so it's oh, like if you know mind. these players and directors and everything. So with the original, you have Wes Craven, obviously a master, yeah, and then uh, Ray Wise, Adrian Barbeau. I mean, you just assume this is a classic, and this sequel directed by Warnowski is probably just a booby parade. <laughs> it's not. And it's also, it sets out way more to entertain than the original does. I think in a lot of ways the original drags at times and tries to, I think it takes itself a little too seriously. Like the comic? Yeah. And so... Yeah, I was going to mention that Grizz is a big fan of the uh, Alan Moore It's so emo. (laughs) I had him borrow a graphic novel one time and he was not impressed. Well, and I feel like even with the the sequel here that we're getting ready to jump into, it's, it's... much more setting out to entertain, but it's still got some of that somberness to it while still being a good time. Um, okay, so uh, the opening of the movie is just basically a cold open with a group of hunters. I think they reference being from an office together, like their office workers. It's a callback to the first film because there was like a, a government agency office in the mm-hmm. swamp. Gotcha. Oh. I thought it was a call back to Friday 6, and they were playing paintball. <laughs> so we, we go <laughs> through a nice way to introduce uh, not only our setting, but kind of the tone for the movie. Uh, we've got the, the group of hunters out there, and they ultimately are waiting around in the swamp, and they have an insane creature come out with like this huge snout on it um, that does not look like it's from this planet. Uh, and they deal with that. Showing up and kind of in the way that you'd expect a group being attacked, uh, but Swamp Thing comes up, saves the day, and they and we kind of lean heavily into the the superhero tropes, even with the way he talks. Uh, and he says, you know, they call me Swamp Thing, and it's just a really standard open with with that. It's not really tied directly into the plot that we're going to jump into, but it goes straight into uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival, Born on the Bayou, with the comic strip and. I'm sorry, but it's awesome. Yeah. Oh, like, it's awesome. That the, first 10 minutes is better than the entire first movie. <laughs> I agree. Like, it's it's so much fun. And it's honestly, the, the quality is so much better than I think anything I ever the saw that director do. on Swamp Thing is so much better yeah. than the original yeah. movie. Yeah. It's crazy to think, like, that Warnowski was given that kind of money in this property and, and stayed on it. Like, he didn't get it, too this, ridiculous. This was made for $4 million. So... 
we've got that great opening. The credits it really sets the tone that like this is going to be fun, and it and like he said, it's already more entertaining and fun than than anything in the first movie, which I'm sure some listeners would disagree with. I understand. Like, there's some great talent there, uh, but then we jump over to our kind of and fair warning. There's a lot of cliches in here. They lean heavily into them on purpose. Um, We've got Heather Locklear playing uh, Abigail Arcane living in L.A. She's obsessed with her plants and therapy and her sign and uh, all of the things that you would kind of hear out of the, these vapid valley girls from the late 80s in Los yeah. Angeles. Uh, and then she immediately, I had to rewind it because I, I felt like I missed something. She jumps immediately into heading back home uh, and even in conversation jumps immediately into heading back to confront her stepfather on the uh, death of her mother and she didn't even she wasn't even a part of a funeral for it doesn't understand what happened and so we send her back there um so again these are the things like with this i don't need a lot of details for the plot in a in a movie called the return of swamp thing this is what i love about it we don't even quite hit the 90 minute mark because we don't waste time on this stuff yeah we literally have her jump straight into that we're introduced to her character and within two minutes we're already getting her back to that setting. Yep. Uh, we've got the doctor, the same doctor uh, played by the same guy who, by the way, has quite an accomplished career. He must have enjoyed doing these. Um, but he returns uh, as you know, the villain from the original. And then as we get down in our setting, we really kind of lean into some of the, the cliche archetypes. Uh, we've got like um, the hillbilly sheriff, yeah. uh, the, the two guys a little bit later in the movie that are out there talking about not having been around a woman and their accents and just kind of, you know, pushing really heavily into it. Uh, but then we also have uh, a duo of youngsters oh that are one of gosh. my favorite things about this Worth movie. Worth the price of admission. And when I was watching it, I thought, Robert's going to like that little boy. And if he doesn't, I'm quitting the podcast. Uh, so our kids are Daryl and Omar. Uh, and they're ridiculous. <laughs> when that kid starts I talking, I thought I they, I thought they were laughing. using Tangina. Yeah. And then as it kept talking, I was like, when I listen to the show, that's what my radio voice sounds like to me. <laughs> what oh. do you mean there's a password? Oh, man, come on. I'm so glad. <laughs> Now, tell the truth. Was that you as a kid, or did you know any kids exactly like him? <laughs> oh, no, I knew kids exactly like him. That was not me, but that's why I loved it so much, because every every hillbilly group of kids had that kid. Well, and like, I, like especially you and I, Grizz, we're right around that age from when this yeah. came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, I love, for one, that when he does finally pop the door open and trick the kid into trying to bash the door down, and he runs in and does the somersault into the chair, you can tell that they probably have went over this 60 times with this child trying to get it right. And he gets into the chair, doesn't roll, and then forces himself like he's, it's all one continuous motion. Uh, it's just all very charming with their relationship. He's a little chubby red-headed kid too, by the way. Yes. For those of you listening. And so they pop out, uh, they crack open the sodas in the montage. You know, they got, the, they got their colas, they got their stack of nudie magazines, MTV on the TV. Like, we were all doing this kind of stuff with our friends this in some capacity in, you know, the late 80s. Yeah. And so it's a great setup there and kind of a distraction from what the rest of the movie is. But then fr- from there, we, we basically have two main points of narrative, which is that the villain is continuing on from the original. And he uh, is basically combining genes from... Uh, swamp creatures and humans, which is kind of creating this race of monsters. I think they call them the unmen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also develop a romantic relationship 
uh, with our main character and Abigail once she's down there. She encounters them uh, fleeing from the doctor because she, she comes home and confronts the, the stepfather, which really doesn't materialize anything other than what you'd expect. Yeah. Uh, and, and from there, it's all pretty predictable, but it also remains very servicing for entertainment's sake. Yeah. Um, any thoughts on the initial layout of the movie? Yeah, you covered it all pretty well. I would just say those genetic mutations, some of them are really pretty cool. Um, yeah. I really like the, the dude with like the elephant head. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I really like the time that we spend in the lab with, with all the weird scientists and, and the different creatures that they've made. And they're like, no, no more bugs. We already have enough bug men. <laughs> like, right. You know, it's, it never takes itself too seriously, but it's well done. There, there is a, a, a fun little bonus feature with the kids where they did a couple of PSAs with Swamp Thing and, oh. and the kids, which is, uh, is, is good times. I would also like to bring up that Dick Durock, who plays the Swamp Thing, Dick Durock uh, was in over 80 films. <laughs> I'm, there's one particular favorite for me. Dick Durock was in a shitload of TV series, including... Uh, Terrence as a guard. Star Trek for Jason McCullough. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, my first, the one I'm most familiar with is from the Incredible Hulk TV series. Dick Durock played the other monster that he, the only other monster he encountered in the whole series. Uh, he was played Del Fry's monster and had a fight with Lou Ferrigno's Hulk. And uh, he was also born in South Bend, Indiana. Did not know that. Well, he was in the pie eating contest in Stand by Me. He's oh, one of the guys going up against Lardass. Nice. <laughs> Which is uh, relatively close. It's cool to see guys like him get to step out in front of the camera. What's more. What's funny to me is is he got all these big man monster roles, and he was six six, which is big, but now. People playing monsters in movies seems like everybody else is like kind of pushing seven feet now. Mm-hmm. Just how yeah. gra- gradually the population lights. just keeps getting taller. Yeah, it's 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 almost we're, we're ten years away from the next uh, uh, brew of monsters. They're all going to be three feet. <laughs> <laughs> I like to point out too that with our two youngsters early on, when we're first introduced to them, they are set out on the run. Uh, almost instantly because the creature that we saw at the beginning arrives at their front door. Yeah. Uh, so we get them out, and uh, they have their own little very minor but cute side story where they're trying to ca- capture pictures oh, yeah. of, like, you know, like a Bigfoot hunter yeah. uh, to get a bunch of money. And oh, man, that's my dad's camera. <laughs> they're talking about what they're going to do with their money when they get it. Um, and it's again, I can't echo enough. They don't do it too much. There's just enough of those kids to keep it the perfect balance. Um, but as we get into the last act, they really, really lean into the cliches for for these types of movies yeah. because you've got uh, your villainous uh, mad scientist doctor at his lab. We of course have the self destruct countdown uh, going. But at, at this point, we've got our main character and Abigail uh, restrained there. Um, we've got the unmen being unleashed, so we're seeing a, a lot of these different uh, creations. Which, which we, we, we passed manner. right over the the cockroach one, which was pretty nasty. Yeah, elaborate. And also, you passed right over. In my note, the this is where we said, "Did you have anything to add?" Well, well, I thought you were going to continue <laughs> with the story because you you glazed right over the whoopee, the whoopy ghost love scene where they start. Jukin and he goes from plant man to some weird man just to stand in. 
Yes, that happened. That was the key selling point, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, where she takes the bite off of his uh, body that they take off so that he can transform, I guess, mentally. It's uh, very strange. Like LSD plant people sex. Yes. As you do. Anything else? Yeah, that's all I wanted. Okay. Um, so it, it's basically traditional stuff at that point. We escape with her as it explodes and takes down our bad people and the return of Swamp Thing. There it is. There it is. And for all you people who like to bitch, this is what we had for comic book movies back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do love that uh, <laughs> she says, I can't imagine anyone not loving it here right after Swamp Thing tells her that thousands of slaves were here. <laughs> uh, did everybody else notice blue 80s lightning? I knew. Oh, yeah. Uh, I feel like Blue, that was also in quite a few of the movies we watched. Except for American Psycho 2, which just adds you to more why it sucks. American Psycho 2, no Blue Lightning. Yeah. Nor American Werewolf in Paris. Nope. Oh, I feel like, was there not? I feel like I saw Blue Lightning. Maybe I wanted Blue Lightning. <laughs> You're movie. probably wishing it into the movies there'd be something you liked about it. So there'd be something entertaining. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's it's a fun movie, Return to Swamp Thing. I it's better than you'd expect. Yes, it is. Absolutely. It absolutely is. And Todd, to answer you, uh, the reason why we haven't seen Toxie versus Swamp Thing is because uh, Lloyd Kaufman ain't affording to go into business with Warner Brothers. Yeah, <laughs> who, who owns Swamp Thing? Do they own Swamp Thing? Yeah, I mean, it's a DC now. Comics character. Mm. Yeah, what was the most? That recent? was before then, though. Was that movie they made yeah. in the early 2000s? Was it like Man Thing? But it was Man Thing a... was from Marvel. Marvel. That's a Marvel uh, comic. Uh, Man Thing was Lionsgate. Oh, good. It's terrible. <laughs> yep, it is. Going back to that old formula, nine times out of ten, if it says Lionsgate, it's crap. All right. Well, any other thoughts about Return of the Swamp Thing? No, I recommend watching it. Though. Yeah, yes, absolutely. It's fun. If you like fun, watch this movie. If you don't like fun, shut up, nerd. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Professor Hot Toddy. Coming up, bringing up the headlining film for the evening. It's yours. I'll let you say the title. All right. Well, thank you very much. Gremlins 2, Two. The New Batch, 1990. Uh, directed by Joe Dante and uncredited Chuck Jones. Uh, starring Zach Galligan, Phoebe Cates, Howie Mandel. Tony Randall, John Glover, uh, Robert Prosky, Robert Bricardo, Christopher Lee, Dick Miller. Um, that's good enough. I can go on for I 10 guess, days because there's a lot of people in this I'll movie. Say, I guess you ain't going to mention the Hulkster, brother. That's all right. <laughs> no Judge Ryan hold in this one. <laughs> well, well, well. Let me start off with a tale because I can't tell you how many times I've seen this film. But uh, when this film came out, what, what year was it? 1990. 1990. I would have been seven going eight, and there was trading cards. Did you just cards. say you were eight before you were seven? Seven, eight, nine. <laughs> there was a series of trading cards and stickers that came along with this film, and me and the other kids at my babysitter's place were nuts about them. And I had a babysitter who told me that gremlins were real. <laughs> said, you've seen the movie. You can't fake that. You know, like, essentially talking to me out of the special effects. She's like, no, no, gremlins are real things. I got very nervous. 
yeah, collected the stickers and the cards because there were so there's so many gremlins in this movie. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you know that's the I, bread and butter of it. I, I will say uh, I never noticed until this viewing that I didn't realize that Rick Baker, which I knew he did the Gremlins, but he was a big producer of this one. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, so that's my history with the film. I, yeah, this one I've seen numerous times. Yeah. Um, it never made quite the impact that the first one did, but at no. the same time, it also came out when I was old enough to appreciate it coming out. Yeah. So it did have... It's that you know, balance. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get a lot of nostalgia for this, but at the same time, I'm like, this is not on par with right. the first film. I remember seeing the original Gremlins. Uh, somebody had brought a VCR to my grandmother's house on a holiday, like when VCR was early in the day, and we watched it. Uh, And because of the way time moves when you're a kid, by the time 1990 hit, I was 12, but it felt like it had been a million years between the first one and the second one. Sure. Now you look at it on paper, and it's really not that long, but it felt like I had lived a lifetime, (laughs) you know? Uh so I've seen this one many times. I've seen both of them many times. Uh, I've seen many times. Uh, I will say this: this movie got me good twice because um, I saw. I feel like I saw Gremlins two right after Back to the Future three, and Back to the Future three is opening night, packed theater, and the film snaps right in the middle of the damn movie, and people were livid, like pissed off. Angry, so I go see Gremlins two a few weeks later, <laughs> and the whole, not realizing because I just remember people getting outraged because the film breaks, and people are like, "What?" And then <laughs> it's part of the movie. That's where we see Hulk Hogan. But uh, I don't know if you remember. Did you watch this when it came out on VHS? I can't remember if I saw this in the theater or not. So they they took they took that same uh, the, they take that scene out. And I don't. I think I rented it, and then um, I I was recording it onto tape to watch later. And when I went to watch it, I was pissed because I was like, "Who went in my room and messed my recording up?" Because they took that whole scene out, and now it goes to snow. And so I just thought somebody messed my recording of it up. But they got me good both times. John Wayne is who's in um, the home video version. So it's a bunch <laughs> of uh, they show up on one of the western movies. And John Wayne is shooting Gremlins, so <laughs> good times. Got me, got me good both times. I will say as much as I've complained that it's not in canon, that Gremlins 2 is crazy for a sequel, which Joe Dante, I don't think he wanted to do part two at all. And I think he did, um, somebody told me that the new Matrix movie was like they were comparing it to Gremlins. I'm like, yeah, but Gremlins 2 was good. The new Matrix movie sucks because like, it's like, oh, we're going to make it without you. So in spite of it, they do this weird meta movie with Matrix. Gremlins 2 was like awesome because they had all these different... They could have phoned it in and did the same movie. They had all these different crazy Gremlins, plus Christopher Lee was like kind of behind a lot of the crazy Gremlins. Um, you got a Professor Gremlin, a Gargoyle <laughs> Gremlin, a Flasher Gremlin that comes back, a Sexy Gremlin, a Legal Gremlin, a Vegetable Gremlin... <laughs> You get Slayer's Angel of Death playing. <laughs> this film. I mean, I you get uh, Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. Here's the thing with this movie: that's it's. There's not many like it. From start to finish, it's all Easter eggs, nods, oh, winks yeah. at the camera, like so much so that if we tried to cover it on here, it would take an like it take the length of the movie. Yeah. It's nonstop. He yeah. Dante 
knows he's like an encyclopedia. Yeah. If you ever listen to his podcast, the movies that made me, he remembers everything about film. And so from start to finish, there are guides online for this movie if you're interested that literally will break down to the second what you're seeing on screen wow. that he's referencing. There's that much. I but it never relies on it. When you watch it, you can just watch it as a movie and not know any of that stuff, and it's fine. I feel like I have to do this for uh, Jason the McRib McCullough. Uh, <laughs> this movie also stars Robert Picardo, who famously yes. played the emergency medical hologram on Star Trek Voyager, otherwise known as The Doctor. And wasn't he also in... The Howling. Yes, oh, yeah, my was. dad's still trying yes, to fix his brain after I melded it when I told him that the gym teacher from Wonder The Wonder Years was also Eddie Quist in The Howling. <laughs> <laughs> but that's also a Howling connection uh, because The Howling is Dante. chock full of references which, from yes. Dante. Which Dante is very, uh, I mean, he came from Corman, so I feel like he's he's another director that he, ha- like Dick Miller, like there's, there's uh, members of his cast, like, even if it's just a, a fun little appearance. He, yeah, Dante's just unhinged. Did in you this, though. did you glaze over though the blue lightning gremlin? Oh, <laughs> I did. Yeah, the blue lightning gremlin man, and he gets into the lines. also the and... uh, the before gargoyle gremlin. It's bat gremlin. <laughs> Even that, like, I, I I feel like this movie works so well that like normally you would have been like, this is stupid, but when it flies out and it leaves the bat symbol, like the bat logo. There's so much about. I probably. I get more of the nods now than I ever did as a kid. Yeah. With this movie. Like I have much more of an appreciation for Christopher Lee being in this movie now than I did when I was that age. I love uh, Robert Prosky as the ho- horror host. Yes. The horror host angle period I love <coughs> anyway. Just yeah. because you're talking television and it, you know he's even talking I want it this time of the day, you know. I'm, you know it's a by it's going the wayside and this is in the 90s, you yeah. know. Well, there's just so much about this movie that, that... And it's just satire of our consumer culture at the time that yep. hasn't yes. slowed down. But, but it makes fun of the first movie, too, because I don't think I ever paid them. I remember the speech, but I don't think I, I realized how much the BBK BBK's. to... Yeah, her speech about uh, President's Day. Because mm-hmm. in Gremlin, she talks about Christmas yeah. and this horrible story. And like it, he even cuts her off, I think. But um, I feel like... Uh, uh, John Glover is supposed to be kind of like a Ted Turner. I never noticed it either, but he has. There's a couple lines where um, the horror host says that he hates anything in black and white. So I never noticed that on the monitors behind him is like uh, "It's a Wonderful Life" and stuff in color. Like so, it just there's stuff that I probably never noticed that I, I noticed on this viewing alone. So is John Glover the guy that runs the building? Yeah, he's literally playing the same character from Scrooged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty much. I mean, it's pretty it's much. almost like another connection. He is like a Ted Turner, Donald Trump yeah. put together. Yeah, yeah. And this, he's trying to take over a network and Scrooged as well. I just, I just, I, that's the underrated element, though, with this movie is just all of these things in all directions are Joe Dante roasting whatever he wants. Leonard Malton shredded the first <laughs> Gremlins. Uh, that's why he's in there. He's and see, there. that's what knowing that makes me appreciate that a little more because that's my big gripe. I. I grew tired of the break the fourth wall in this movie. Yeah. That's really my only gripe about it. But with that context now, that reads a little different. Yeah, he literally reached out to him, and Bolton was a good sport too, and came on for it. Which I just I love that. I, I've always heard that uh, that again, like Joe Dante was like, ah, you know, people love Gremlins. I don't want to do Gremlins too. That it, the comment was made that he was going to do it to where they could never do another one. And I, I keep hearing that Gremlins 3, they've been trying, but obviously he did his job because since 1990, 
Um, I mean, it's this one. This one didn't make its money back, but still, like as popular as Gremlins is, it's crazy that there's never been a third movie. This didn't make its money back. Nope. Wow, that's nuts to me. Nope. It was made for fifty million and it grossed forty one million. Wow, wow, that blows my mind. Which I, got, I'm sure they have over the years recouped that with which, DVD sales and oh, merchandise yeah. well, and everything not, else. I mean, not every movie like I like Swamp Thing. I don't remember who put out Return to Swamp Thing, but um, maybe f- I feel like either the company went under. Swamp Thing was made for four million and it made thousands of dollars. It didn't even make a million. <laughs> but I feel like that movie got hurt by whatever studio. Uh, American Psycho was straight to video and Werewolf in Paris was uh, $25 million and it made $26.5 million. Got which I'm sure werewolves. the Weinsteins was like, we got a, got a profit. Got my werewolves in Paris and they're going gorillas. Because that is, that is a big thing a lot of times. But yeah, Gremlins makes so much money. That with other stuff that it's crazy they made a third. The musical number as they're getting ready to go out to the start spreading the news. That was so Muppet Show. Mm-hmm. Like the Gremlins had so much oh, more personality in this. Like it, and it, uh, to me it just made it. I man, this is. I don't know if maybe if I like this more than Gremlins or not. I like them both a lot. That- that movement's growing. There's a lot of people but that are changing. But man, Gremlins 2 is a lot of fun. And I almost feel like it, there's more personality in this movie, period. Which obviously... I think the, there's more Joe Dante. The, the Gremlins were just all the same Gremlin, more or less, in the original. And you get so much more personality out of them in this one. Uh, I, I'll, my, my one complaint, I feel like Gizmo could have been a little more excited to see Billy. Quite frankly, mm-hmm. after the years apart, I feel like he, yeah. a, he was in grief. A little bitch throwing you off the top of the could, building. Could have been a little more. But yeah, I'm to a point where I don't know. Wh- it, it, they're about neck and neck right now. Mm. Also, uh, I don't sit well with me. Yeah, yeah, does not sit well. <laughs> also, sit until, well. until now, I never realized Tony Randall is the voice of uh, Brain Gremlin. Yeah. So. Oh, nice. I love that the, there can be a movie that exists with Slayer's Angel of Death in the same movie as a nod to an old Busby Berkeley number from the movie <laughs> Dames when we unveiled the female. Oh, yeah. That's exactly like that, which most people wouldn't have got. But, I mean, that's where we're at with Joe Dante, just doing whatever he wants. Yeah. It's a wild one. And then, of course, as they're all dying out there, you get the one quoting the Wicked Witch of the West. <laughs> I want to know why that doesn't set well with you that we say two might be better than one. Oh. Mm. They're just completely different films. I agree they are two different They're films. completely different films. They have two different tones. Yeah, yeah. And so I, yeah, one, they just hold different places in my heart. One, obviously, much higher than that, but I... One's almost a, a perfect horror comedy to me, and so does it help the holiday setting in the first one because it it gives you a chance a reason to watch it annually. It does make me a mark for it, and you also have more Gizmo. Yeah, yeah. That was the 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 calling card of that first one for me growing up was I love the cuteness of, and it's got a lot more. It's heart. not but, just Corey Feldman, but yeah. you, but you get Gizmo dancing in this one. Well, you also and, get Rambo Gizmo. Yes, you get Rambo, which I Gizmo. thought for sure would have tipped it to you. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, also this in. this movie's so crazy good though that that there's a, a Key and uh, Pill skit that's dead on. Like oh, yeah. how, 
how I picture how they they made this movie because you got the guy coming in. I completely forgot. Yeah, because they're that. just like like the one lady's like, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, pitch. where they're like just doing this crazy pitch meeting, <laughs> and I'm sure that's how this movie was made, down to where like the late the dude's like Hulk Hogan, he's like, you mean the Hulkster? He's like, he's in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that it was just, I do like this movie, and this is not a this is a. a a critique but not a criticism but it's almost like a family guy episode because it's just like joke 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 yes. joke reference reference joke, joke you know what i'm saying the the original certainly has a darker edge to it yeah than I think, what this one does i think what grizz is saying is why do you want a war on christmas <laughs> yeah yeah go work for starbucks um, <laughs> enjoy your red cup bud <laughs> i do have to say out of uh, out of the uh, all the funniness of the movies though the 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 spider grim one though does does scare the crap out of me still. That's fair. <laughs> that is fair. The sexy one scares me. <laughs> get all kinds of confusion. It scares me how much I love it. Mm-hmm. All right. Gremlins 2. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We also glazed over the entire plot. <laughs> yeah. Do we need it? <laughs> is it? Yeah. It is. Yeah. I mean, there there is. I feel like I said plot. the plot when I said Gremlins 2, the new badge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Gremlins Two, Creature Boogaloo. <clears throat> All right, well, another episode of Dead End Sequels. Thanks for coming along with us for the good, the bad, the ugly, and the swampy. And uh, I am one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I've been joined by Professor Wagstaff, Venomous Vinny, Hot Toddy. Stay scary. <laughs>